Steve Sable's dead. Ed Sable's dead. NFL Films is dead. So what exactly is the NFL as a TV product these days? Well, I'll give you a hint. Look over at another sports league and look at your gaming system under your television. Because I think that answers the question much more accurately than the old TV box does these days. All this and more today on... The following program is brought to you in living color. As early as 1923, David Sarnoff recognized the possibility of developing a television system. This is the dimension of imagination. Oh yeah! Now I remember! It's Inside the Box, the TV history podcast. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jonathan Bullinger. And today I'm happy to say that I'm not alone in studio. This is a, a good moment, a good way to kick off our brand new season of new full main episodes. And that, of course, is because I also have Steve Voorhees in the studio with me. Steve, how are you doing today? Good, Jonathan. I'm excited for this upcoming season of episodes. I think we're going to be working together a lot on these uh, on these topics, and they all all very interesting. I hope. Yeah, it's it's crazy that it's uh, it's already September, as promised. This new fall season is beginning, and if you look back on some of our previous seasons. We actually tend to start the season with something a little more sports related, and particularly NFL. I think last time, if you look back at uh, our, our feed or the feed that you're listening in right now, I think I was talking to Travis Vogan, who wrote a really good book on the uh, role NFL films played in sort of promoting the league and, and its role and how it changed to NFL media, etc. So it's not a coincidence that uh, the first uh, the first episode you're listening to is, is sports related because the fall at least brings uh, the NFL. Eventually, it'll bring the playoffs for uh, baseball, etc. And I just think it's a nice way to kind of get us into this idea of TV and TV history. And then we'll hit you with some of the heavier heavier hitting topics and episodes in, in down the road. So that's sort of my my little scheme for you guys. But it feels good to have Steve in studio today as we talk about a topic that may seem a little odd at first, but I hope you'll be able to follow me as I, as I go through it. But before we do, Steve, uh, I always peg you as a bit of a baseball fan. Is that accurate or is there some other sport that you love more than baseball? You are reading my mind. As you were doing the intro, I was thinking, you know, as the baseball season winds down, and games get more exciting, the playoff races heat up, the NFL really owns the month of September, right? What's what The final month of the baseball season is outdone by the opening month of football. And even though football's not on every day, I would think a Thursday night, a Sunday certainly, and a Monday night, they don't belong to baseball. Those are, those are viewing nights that we think about television being dedicated to the NFL and and viewing parties and things of that nature and that to me is very interesting because you would on paper you would probably think that the end of a season would be the most important thing to watch and even as a diehard baseball fan i have to recognize the power the nfl holds uh not only over television but over the country in terms of popularity yeah and and the other reason of course and we've talked about this is that and, and honestly, if, if memory serves, I believe that uh, uh, I probably have released from the archive an episode we did way back on the actual, not the NFL, but the AFL and a wonderful documentary they did on the AFL called Full Color Football. So hopefully uh, you enjoyed that as well, because the reason we come back to the NFL so much, not only because I grew up watching it, but because the NFL and the medium of television are so highly intertwined. And that's a bit of what I want to I want to kind of talk about today, which is, and also truth be told, in this episode, I may refer back. We had talked about this topic, or I've talked about this topic in the past uh, on a really old episode of a of a different podcast that I did. So here's the here's the element that always interests me with uh, with the NFL and media, and it's something again I've talked about a bunch. You may have heard me talk about this before, but. 
what I feel is the culmination of this idea, and this is my focus here, is on November 19th, back in 2018, and it was a Week 11 game. It was a Week 11 game that happened in Los Angeles, and it was supposed to be a Monday night game, or I should say it was a Monday night game, 8-15, broadcast on ESPN. And this that particular season, the Los Angeles, well, the now Los Angeles Rams again, were 9-1, and and they were going into that game, and they were facing the Chiefs, who were also 9-1. and And the only reason people remember this game, and the reason I want to bring it up, the first game in NFL history where both teams have scored 50 points. One of the most anticipated showdown games in recent NFL history. It completely over-delivers, and this is how it'll put an end to it. Mahomes picked off. And then these two teams went out and put up 105 points and 1,001 yards. 54-51, your outrageous final score. So it's this crazy, large, high-scoring game, okay? But to me, it's more, it's, it's more than just the, 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 the points. And it's also what I hope to get out of this, this with you today is that lots of people have talked about this game, and they talk about it in the ways that I think are expected, but I'm hoping to sort of provide a little bit more context to it in a way to get you to think about it a, a, a bit differently. We'll, we'll see. And, and maybe, as, maybe I'm wrong, and as a corrective, Steve will, will, will intellectually hand me my butt and say, what the hell are you talking about? We'll, we'll see. So what's interesting, some context here, is because the Rams were known as such a high-flying offense, and so are the Chiefs, that they originally wanted it to be a promotional game for their international viewers. And if any of you follow the NFL, you know that they're in their infinite greed. They are hoping to either expand out to more games in Mexico and or uh, the, the Europe or the UK, and probably with the idea of maybe adding a team or two, especially as, as flights get better, etc. So the game was originally scheduled for Mexico City's Estadio Azteca, uh, but because there had been recent heavy rains and there was also lots of concerts used there and other sporting events, uh, the players, thank God, because they do have some power these days, they were like, there's no way I'm going to risk my contract and my health by playing on that field. So instead, about six days prior to the game, I shouldn't say about, it was six days prior to the game, uh, they announced that we're, they're going to move the game and essentially give the Rams, uh, uh, you know, a home game down at the the Coliseum in downtown LA. This was before, again, don't want to date the podcast, but this is before the big, huge new stadium that they built in Los Angeles. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because to me, beyond just sort of changing the rules, which I think a lot of people focus on, this game has a larger significance uh, as far as what the NFL wants this game to feel like because of who they want to become viewers, okay? Now, the immediate thought for any of these kinds of silly sort of questions regarding sports and media is, is this truly an outlier, right? Because if it isn't, then it really defeats my own argument, right? Meaning if there's been one of these kind of games every season or whatever, then it's not so important. So I did a little bit of basic research here, and I'm not going to bore Steve here with like history of NFL, but I found three games that for me uh, uh, provided good context, or, and, and I also provided a little context for those teams. So here we go. So back in 1966, the Redskins scored 72 points on the New York Giants, who also scored 41. So a very high-scoring game. And was that game an outlier? Not really, because those 66 Redskins had scored at least 27 points in seven of their games that season, and five of those seven games were of 30 points or more. And the 66 Giants also scored at least 27 points in four games, and three of those games with 30 or more points. So... In that sense, the 2018 game wasn't too terribly different because both the Redskins and Giants back in 66 scored a hell of a lot of points that season in a lot of their games. 
Skip ahead about 20 years, we go to 1983. We've got the Packers versus the Redskins. It was 48 points to 47 points on Monday Night Football. Again, I asked the same question. Was it just a weird, odd game where they scored a lot of points? Actually, no. Those 83 Packers, they scored 27 points in at least eight games that season, and four of those eight games were 40 points or more. Whereas their opponent, the 83 Redskins, they scored at least 27 points in 15 of their games, and three of those games were more 40 or more points. So, again, it's just two seasons, it's just uh, four different teams, but it you know, helps to sort of mediate my, uh, you know, regulate my argument a little bit. And then last, last that I found was from 2004. So another almost 20 year jump. Bengals scored 58 points versus the Browns who scored 48 points. And again, I asked the same questions. Was this an outlier? Did they score a lot of points that season? Well, the 04 Bengals scored at least 27 points in four games and only, but only one of those games topping 40 points and the 04 Browns scored at least 27 points in three, only three games that season, with only one of those games scoring top, topping 40 points. So that one's, you know, that one's not so strong of a case. So with the fact that I could only find three games with that high level uh, from both teams, admittedly with two of those seasons where the teams were scoring quite a few points, I still think it's a good argument to look at the 2018 game as something significant for both uh, media and the NFL. And I think that idea is supported by how some of the journalists wrote about the 2018 game at the time. So I want to quote two different folks uh, uh, from Sports Illustrated and the New York, uh, New York Times. And then I also have somebody from a, a, a local journalist who I, I think brings in some, some good ideas. So I apologize. I know there's a lot of stats here, lots of numbers I'm throwing at you, and now I'm going to do a quote. But I think they're really good quotes, so I'm going to lay it out for you, and then, and then we'll talk about it. So this was Connor Orr writing for Sports Illustrated on a, uh, November 20th, or two day, uh, a day after the game. Uh, Orr wrote, Think of all the political machinations and red tape that have gone into creating something like we saw on Monday Night Football. All the rule changes all of the subtle winks and nods to the fantasy football crowd, the arms wide open stance as the legal sports books start rolling in. Think of all the strides in health and exercise science, everyone maximizing their potential, everyone being bigger and faster and stronger than they've ever been. The landscape was ripe for a game that could facilitate a fireworks grand finale every week on every play in every stadium. Monday will be remembered as the night that changed everything. So I completely agree with Orr. It is because of fantasy football. It is the fact that health and exercise science has gotten better, and it's gotten better because there's so much money that can be made. Uh, it is the fact that uh, uh, fireworks scoring, etc. But it still doesn't get me to the two real reasons that I think started all this, although admittedly fantasy sports, et cetera, play a role as well. And, and I'm going to get to that by reading from uh, uh, the New York Times here. Same, same time period. This is uh, 1120 or the day after. They wrote, some of this is schematic evolution. Make no mistake. Coaches are smart and have figured out ways to prey on years of habitual defensive thought. Lure players into doing what they've been taught since grade school and then bang a wide open slant pass behind their backs. But some of this is a fast lane years in the making, paved by people who decided long ago, we like points. We like long touchdowns. We like the reality we're seeing to unfold like it does in the improbable universes we spent our childhood creating on the PlayStation 2. They aren't wrong either. Monday left us all slack-jawed, babbling Twitter nothingness just to tether ourselves to reality. So I think they get at what I want to get at, and I've talked about before, and that is simply this. The NFL became a success 
because it uh, connected itself to the immediacy and the live wonderfulness that is television. Now, from a business perspective, they stole from the AFL the idea that if you coordinate your uh, contract negotiations as a league with the networks, then a high tide ride rises all boats, right? And you uh, negotiate from a place of strength. But the problem is, is that on the way to greed and on the way to so much success, that the children that they were hoping to replace the old fans started doing other things. And one of the things they did is they started playing video games. And there's a reason why when you watch an NFL broadcast these days, there's a reason why there's a thing like a sky cam. There's a reason why we have different camera angles and graphic graphics packages that get laid over as in the replay because they want it for most people to feel like a PlayStation game, like Madden, because that is what is exciting. Think about all, and I say this to everyone, but I'll say it more specifically to Steve, you know, think of all our students who tell us they didn't do their homework or they didn't get enough sleep because all they do is play FIFA, uh, FIFA 2018 or 2020 or whatever all night, right? There's a generation who grew up on, on video games. And so NFL as a TV program, as something exciting to draw in viewers and interest, I would argue and have always argued, must feel more and more like Madden. But there's also another reason that it, it that the 2018 game became this, and it's because of a different sport. Uh, it's a different sport that uh, that has become so successful. But before I get there, I have just a few more quotes, and I apologize, Steve. I know you're patient, but I just want to get through a few more of these, and then I'll let you jump in. All right. So this is from a, a local journalist, uh, Ken Belson, who writes. When the NFL decided in the offseason to more strictly enforce helmet-to-helmet hits and roughing the passer penalties, league officials made a point of saying it was to enhance player safety. What Commissioner Goodell did not mention were the unintended consequence of those changes, which were on full display Monday night in L.A. in a record-setting football slugfest between the Rams and the Chiefs, an explosion of scoring that has rewarded fast, pass-heavy offenses and shredded even the strongest defenses. And, and continuing, Marino, Kurt Warner, Favre taught us that scoring sells, but the way points are being scored this year is more akin to the wide-open college game. The team scored with such ease that they blew through a record pregame over-under of 64 points with the Gamblers, with more than two minutes left in the third quarter. So the scoring is there, but why? Yes, excitement of television, Yes, because that's what you can do in a video game. But I argue that the sport that has truly had the ears and the eyes and the hearts of the youth, the passionate sports youth who are willing to spend on jerseys and hats and and merchandise and more importantly, sneakers. It's not the NFL. It's the NBA. And you look at the NBA, they learn this, their, their, their own lesson with this as far as being a television program, right? When I was growing up in the 80s, you would see high-scoring NBA games. But then through the and, and I'm not an NBA expert here, folks, but I believe in the 90s, early aughts, it became more of a slugfest. I'm pulling this from a, an online fantasy sports site. They write, and this is very short compared to the NFL quotes, Former longtime Utah Jazz assistant Gordon uh, Chiesa has seen an overall change in the game since he coached the Jazz for 16 years up until 2005. You used to be able to hand check a Derek Harper or put your whole arm for leverage from behind but like Buck Williams who mastered it and bothered Carl Malone. Now if you touch a guy, it's a foul. It's almost impossible to guard Steph Curry one-on-one because of the way the rules are now. And I love the way he writes this. Television wants a 127 to 122 game versus a 97 to 92 game. So 
what you have, if you also look at the way that offenses work in the NFL these days, it's essentially you throw out off to the side or in the flat to a running back, and they just run as long as they can. It's it's sort of like a the way the NBA sort of does this free for free flow sort of passing shooting sort of thing. It doesn't feel as strict as structured. It doesn't feel as regimented. It's kind of a free flowing sort of game. So. What I'll say here is, is the other elements beyond the NBA and Madden is, of course, fantasy sports, right? We have, we have uh, wanted, people wanting to participate that way. We have, of course, sports books, right, and the gambling component of it. But we also have this idea of like, well, how can the players be so good, right? How can the players be so excellent so often doing so many magical, wonderful offensive plays and tricks and whatever? And I would say a very boring thing, but an important element. And that is real-time streaming video. Now it's not a mythology. Now it's not like that wonderful documentary they did on Bo Jackson about, you know, the the last folk hero, right? Did he really do it? Did he not do it? I don't know. Now it's like if a guy makes some one-handed or one-finger catch, I, as a young, great receiver trying to be better, I can just rewatch that over and over and over and over and over and slow it down, et cetera, and then try it myself. So there's this other element here of sort of almost doing the impossible because it is a circus trick and because, and, and, and everyone loves a circus and everyone loves TV and, 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 and we want entertainment. So where I'm going to go with this is talk about the idea of whether this truly has changed the game, whether we are now in this sort of Madden verse version of the NFL, but I'll save that for a little bit. And at this point, I'll stop jabbering on and I'll bring in my co-host, Steve Voorhees. What do you think about this craziness, this this theory I'm, I'm working on, which is it's for the NFL, it's not so much TV, but more that it feels like a video game or a high-flying NBA game. Am I crazy? I like the comparison you're drawing and, and sort of the analogy. I would say that... You know, growing up on video games, a lot of the times the video game, it was always impressive if it looked like the television broadcast. So the the more the game looked like the broadcast, the more my friends and I were invested in playing it um, because it gave it legitimacy. Now to the point where you bring in Skycam and the other things that you mentioned, the TV is trying to look more like the video game. Because so many of us in this country have spent so much time playing these games that, you know, the, the whole point of sport is to score and to score more than your opponent. So you can see even the league changing rules to weaken defenses and promote offenses, right? And even now, um, and to date this, right, we're in 2023 there's a question about running backs and how useful is a running back now? Because we know the air game is going to get you a lot more yards and a lot quicker scoring. And that's going to increase the scores of the games rather than a running back chewing up four yards a carry and, you know, needing three downs to do it. So, you know, I think, I think the rule changes are there and, and baseball's, you know, is in this as well because we saw uh, recently, Maybe in the last five years, they've tried different baseballs. And, and one year, there were so many home runs, and they realized it was the ball that they changed it again, taking away the defensive shifts on the infield and not allowing um, you know, analytics to really inf- you know, uh, influence where the uh, fielders are allowed to stand because it was hurting scoring. So we see all of these things, um, you know, checking the pitcher's hands, making sure the pitcher doesn't have a substance on their hands. Why? Because we need more scoring. We can't be striking out everybody. Uh, You know, the NBA is the highest scoring sport of all our major sports in America because you're you're shooting multiple baskets a game and you're going to frequently hit the 100s, which no other sport really is going to happen in a single game. And so... You know, when you play video games, you don't really want to be on defense. You're sort of, hey, take your shot, miss the shot, give me the ball back, and I'm going to try to score. When you look at fantasy sports, it's about how many points is your player getting for either, you know, yes, they'll they'll do rebounds and assists, but it's mostly for points being scored, touchdowns being scored. I, I just think the influence is there on the scoring, and therefore the leagues are going to do what they can to get the scoring to increase. 
And yeah, you know, the games that you listed, uh, the 1966 and the, you know, the 2018 and, and what was that, 83 and 2004, you know, I don't think they're necessarily outliers as much as maybe indications of what the sport would like to see more of as much as they could without fixing games. That's the road we don't want to go down. You don't want to be in conspiracy theory territory. But, uh, but you make a convincing argument about how media has certainly impacted the, the play on the field. Well, and, and I'm going to go, I'm going to go farther here. I wasn't planning on it, but you got me thinking is the, to me, there's such a marriage between the popularity of us football in the country and television. And it kind of is funny if you wonder if, did they sort of stray so far from their partner, i.e. television by sort of selling rights to whoever and making, making it not look like television, right. As its own form, but looking like other things, I wonder if it'll sort of bite them in the, in the butt down the road because, uh, and, and again, this is a larger conversation of like, we've been in such a love affair with television for so long. I think it's a lot, at least for my generation, it's it's hard sometimes to wonder if the younger generation, I think they still love TV, but I think they would say they love, you know, TikTok as much, if not more, you know, it's a different sort of format. So it'd be curious if like the, you know, much like where it's like, I never thought NFL films would ever go anywhere. And now it's kind of done except in name only or special projects. And it's more of an NFL media environment. So it's just interesting that, that, uh, a sports service, a sports league a business is so associated with one medium that one day that may not be true. It's just, you know, just curious to me. Well, also think about the growth of cable in the 90s. And again, this is just my own observation, but college football, you had the games of the week on Saturdays on an NBC and a CBS, ABC, and, you know, Notre Dame on NBC for a long time. But when cable explodes, suddenly you're getting more niche channels dedicated to the collegiate leagues. And we know that college games, especially college football games, they tend to be more high scoring than the NFL games. And this could be both a, dis a discrepancy in the talent level between two schools, but the fact that defenses usually are not as sophisticated in college as they are in the NFL, allowing quarterbacks to go over the top and throw these Hail Mary passes that are going to be you know, exposing the the defense and showcasing the deep threat talent of the wideouts. So you get these these big scoring games, also turnovers. And, you know, college is probably more prone to scoring off those turnovers. Well, as cable explodes and people are watching more and more collegiate sports, I wonder how much of an influence that had on the NFL because we see the NFL first go to the two-point conversion, now saying, hey, you have a chance to get your quarterback back on the field. Let's go for two instead of the extra point. And then maybe a decade later, they say, you know what? I don't think we're going for two points enough. Let's move the extra point back 30 yards. So they're kicking a 40-yard extra point. You just wonder, you know, how much of this is the league really trying to be a little heavy-handed in telling the coaches, more scoring. We want to see more action. Uh, and, you know, they're trying to trying to give you a choice, but really it's it's that governmentality of I'm going to try to make your your decision a little simpler to the way I want it to be rather than maybe, you know, as altruistic as we'd like it to be. Yeah, it actually reminded me of something I wanted to say to you earlier based on a, a point you made. But uh, before I get there, I, I should have mentioned, you know, your, you had said, uh, you know, high scoring office and offenses and, and the. Uh, declining value of the running back, you know, the, 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 the mythology that NFL films created for itself, which was based in some truth, but of course they pumped it up as they always do, which is the 58 championship game, which sold the American public on how exciting the NFL on television could be was based on that end of the game, short dive into the, uh, or sorry, run into the end zone by, I believe it's Amici for the Colts. And, and it's so funny, right? That was exciting. That was drama. It was three yards and a cloud of dust and all that, all that sort of mythology. The other uh, thing that I want to bring up is you said something like, you know, the last thing we want to get to is rigged, rigged games. And I totally understand what you mean by that, but, and I, we don't have to go too far down the road on this, but I would love to have a, a thought exercise argument with you, which is uh -oh. <laughs> with the success of the Netflix uh, quarterback show 
and hard knocks, etc., which ver which to me legitimates my opinion that we're almost more interested in what happens when a game isn't going on than we are when a game is going on. That it's not it's I don't mean it's rigged, but the idea of control and scripting, it's already sort of starting, you know, in the sense of like now again, they have to write the episodes based on what does happen on the field. I'm not not saying they don't, but there's still like you know, still like an idea of like, well, it's a reality show. So they took the footage, they created a narrative from it. It, it may be real. It may not be ish real ish, you know? So I know what you mean. You're talking about like, all right, these guys are going to win by 17 tonight. You know, I, I know you mean that, but we're already sort of through scripted reality TV and narratives, et cetera. We're kind of moving toward like telling a story of the season in a way that is already sort of in a very broad sense, rigged, if you, you know what I mean? I don't mean traditionally rigged. I mean, uh, predetermined storyline. Well, I mean, I think the media teases a lot of that out, asking questions uh, to the athletes, uh, you know, and they can be loaded questions. The athlete answers it and, and then they run with that storyline, right? Is that what you're talking more about? Teasing those storylines out like that? Well, it's like, I don't know. Have you watched any of, I've never watched any of the Hard Knock show, but I watched, yeah, I've seen it. I've watched most of this new Netflix quarterback show or quarterbacks. Again, with documentaries, I understand that you're just going with what footage you have. So there is a reality there, but you're still crafting 10 episodes of narrative based on what you saw at the game, what you saw in the reaction, what you choose to show, what you choose not to show. All I'm saying is, and, and yes, it's after the fact, hard knocks would be a little bit more in the, in the immediate. All I'm saying is, is you're using the word rigged and I'm just sort of saying it more broadly, like control, like, wouldn't it be nice if we scripted and controlled this as much as we could. And all I'm, I'm wondering is, are we tiptoeing toward that a little bit through shows like this, you know, where it it's, it's like. Again, I, I know I'm making too strong an argument here, but it is an interesting idea to think about of like uh, trying to control the narrative uh, in a way that NFL films used to, you know, which was you'd have a team that was god awful one season and then they'd have the, the team re highlight review thing. You've watched these, right? Like, like, what would your, your team would be? What? Um, Philly, yeah, Philadelphia Eagles. You know, so it'd be like the team would have like a three and 13 season and they'd like go close to greatness you know or something like that or still <laughs> working toward greatness or something like that and, and they, they'd spin it in a way so so in a sense they've always done this you know with my argument but still i'm, I'm just saying is, is you caught my ear with the idea of it's not rigged per se but i it we're kind of tiptoeing toward that maybe i don't know anyway i think it matches my definition of reality tv and i might be different than most since i study this stuff but whenever you say reality tv you kind of know it's it's only going to be 50% real. And so a lot of those storylines, when you say reality TV, I think that definition fits because you know some of this is just kind of being pushed out or crafted by the way the sports writers ask questions or, you know, manipulated in a way that makes it as dramatic as possible when it's, it's only partly true, if that makes yeah. sense. I will say this, and you bring up a really good point. I, I kind of feel uh, through this conversation, it's made me recognize, I kind of feel like I've lived through two NFLs. I lived through John Facenda's NFL. Franco Harris has the unique ability to cut back against the grain, leaving opponents flailing at air. But today, Pittsburgh's big gun was fired 27 times for only 82 yards. Harris never got outside all day. The old style NFL was very gritty and it was rough and it was about uh, perseverance and survival. Today's NFL, I think, is more about showmanship. It's about, I guess the word diva comes to mind, and being a star. And I think that has kind of taken the offensive line and the defensive front down a notch. And now we're looking at those who can hit the end zone, play in prime time. So you get quarterbacks and wide receivers right at the top of the list and more of the blocking and the grinding it out. 
I think is really kind of downplayed uh, because in social media, those plays never hit social media. You only see the big scores on social media. And a lot of young people aren't watching the whole game nowadays, uh, you know, unless you're really into your team or you're watching it for a playoff purpose or something. Uh, so in this, you know, world of social media bites and bits, you're not seeing the old NFL. You're seeing the new NFL. And, and that's just something that kind of popped in my head through this conversation. Yeah, I mean, well, that that's what I mean with the NBA, right? You you don't see the huge center sort of stuck in the in in the paint under the basket elbowing everybody and getting elbowed and have being a real sort of slugfest it is uh, uh uh put the ball inbounds advance the ball to maybe half court put it up you know put it up and probably make it like these great crazy three three pointers i will say this though and because basketball is unique the players on the court are both defenders and scorers Right. So when you ha when your team has the ball, you're on offense. You could potentially score because you're one of five on the court. When the ball switches to the other team, now you're a defender. You're one of five defenders. So you can be that big name score and be playing on offense uh, or playing on defense rather that the NFL doesn't do. So think about this big NBA star driving to the basket. Another NBA star with a huge blocked shot, right? Just knocks the ball before it hits the basket. Uh, that will be on social media. That's a big one-on-one -on -one play between two NBA stars. Now you switch the script. Big-name quarterback goes back to pass, and a big-name defender gets a hand on the ball, and it's an incomplete pass. Is, is that going on social media? Probably not. It, it may not be a big deal unless it's at the buzzer in the end zone at the end of the game. It's just another incomplete pass on second down. Okay, even though you have, you know, big name defender against a big name receiver and quarterback. So, you know, I think the NBA has the, the better formula for what we think of social media and playing those clips out. And of course, social media feeds off the larger format of television where the game originates for us to watch if we're not in the stadium watching it. So, to me, I yeah, I I don't know. I think football might be at uh, might yeah, football might not be able to deliver those types of plays as well as the NBA can. But that doesn't mean that the big NFL plays don't compete equally with the big NBA plays. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I think you bring up a good point as far as the idea of social media is tailored to spectacle for spectacle's sake and highlights for highlights' sake and just getting your attention for two seconds so that they can get the numbers and deliver you to the advertisers, et cetera. Oh, and, well, hold on. And to also connect you to the players because they have their, their social media accounts connected. And, and so that whole reality show narrative that you're talking about, that all plays out. I think social media is central to that. Yeah. And the, and the, and players have their own podcasts these days, et cetera. But where I thought you were going with this is when you're talking about the fact that NBA plays players play both offense and defense. And sorry, listeners, I wish I was enough of a NBA fan to be able to insert a joke here and go, well, don't that, don't tell that to player blah, 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 because he never plays defense. Um, but I, I don't know my players well enough. Uh, but where I thought you were going is a lot of people have said, and this is probably 10 years ago, that the future version of the NFL, there really won't be pads like we think of pads. It'll be more of like a really thin sort of bodysuit kind of thing. And I actually thought you were going to say that it's going to get to a point where it's like some weird combination of soccer, the NFL, and the NBA, which will change the rules where there will be an exciting run back, but then that can be also be knocked out almost like rugby style or something, and then they'll run it back, and there will be more constant sort of possible scoring action and, and, and motion. Um, but, you know, I, 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 we'll, we'll see because – I think the point here, folks who are still staying with us on this episode, is that the sport is interesting because it's tied so heavily or was tied so heavily to a particular medium. But of course, their focus and our fandom and the, and the younger people, they want to spend money on jerseys and beer and whatever and, and, and NFL plus packages or whatever. You know, they are looking elsewhere. They're looking at social media and, and different particular whatever platform is hot at the moment. So I think it's going to force them to change sort of how they, they do certain things. Yeah, I mean, if you go back in the, well, if you go back in the rule book, you can see the NFL making changes to the way, you know, how defenses can hit 
offensive players. I, I'm right at the top of saying player safety is important. You don't want head injuries. You don't want brain injuries. You don't want spinal injuries. But offensive players have a lot more freedom. If you have the ball, you can pretty much do almost anything you want in terms of lowering your head and, and how you know you run through the defense, whereas a defensive player can't hit helmet to helmet. Uh, you don't want to horse collar someone when you tackle. Defensive pass interference is called probably three to one to offensive pass interference. So, you know, again, the league can set their rules in terms of, you know, how much they handcuff a defense to get more scoring. And you do, you do all the time here in broadcast or in just water cooler talk about, Oh, the, what are these coaches doing? They're calling Madden plays or these coaches are coaching this game. Like it's a PlayStation game where you go for it on fourth down because you don't care. It's just a video game or you're going to throw deep on first down because you don't care. And it's not that they don't care, but that's the mentality of the video game player is I really have nothing to lose here. Let me just see if I can get a quick score or, or do something exciting, you know? Yeah, no, and, and, and I would just argue that, that we are going to go further on that, right? Especially if you change the rules where we really lessen the chance of you getting a major knee injury. You know, we lessen the chance, whatever. Why not Why not wink and nod and say, like, I know we're going to – we better see 14 huge bomb plays, you know, this game. You know, because you just hired some 21-year-old who's 6'4 and runs like a deer, you know, and his hands may be somewhat questionable, but he'll outrun the defense, so he has a good shot at catching it. So Right. Right. Well, I mean, you think to, like, Johnny Unitas. When I think of Johnny Unitas, I think of someone who just got beat up and kept playing into his old age. And and those football guys, they were maybe 35, 40, and they looked like they were 65 years old on the football field. Right. To, to then thinking of Tom Brady – and no one can touch Tom Brady. If you lay a finger on Tom Brady, roughing the passer 15 yards, right? Um, and of course, I'm embellishing on this a little bit. But I think that's, that's the idea is, is just protect the offense, protect the big names. Because, again, you're playing to your TV audience. And I think that, um, you know, and also to your social media audience. Well, I, I say this all the time to my students, right? And they, the, the hardcore ones. And I think you know who I'm talking about here, Steve. Like, the ones who like they grew up like just diehard Jets fans, Giants fans, Philly uh, 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 Eagle fans, right? And they just have, they love football, but they've never thought about football. And I'll say to them, remember, it's the most popular and most successful form of reality TV that ever has been in the U.S. And it is uh, a TV program in some ways first, and then a sport. You know, and and I talk, you know, I talk about the like we've been talking about the the um, uh, reality TV component, right? Like the thing that we made fun of the WWF for in the '80s, the NFL is kind of sort of this now, right? The idea of following players while their wives are pregnant, and then they get angry at a moment, or they have to miss a game, or will they miss a game while their kid's going to get delivered? And oh, this guy made fun of the other guy's wife in the locker room, and that becomes a big story, and you know all that stuff. But, you know, I, 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 so to your point about the, uh, the, the not touching Tom Brady or whoever is using that idea. Yeah. You don't want your lead character. You don't want your protagonist. You don't want your lead actor. And now I'm going to theater, right? You don't want them to miss the matinee. You don't want your audience to come in and go, oh, it's the understudy. <laughs> oh God, I don't want that. Right. You, 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 right. you spent a lot of money. You just gave some guy, you know, a hundred million dollars or $80 million or whatever to be the lead of this TV program. And like you said, the media is expecting it. They're relying on it to be this guy. They can sell the uh, NFL and the team is expecting him to be on the field to have those moments of brilliance or drama or whatever. And when they're not there and it's somebody who they know can't do it or isn't ready, or they don't, or not, can't give time to, for him to learn the role. We all go, Ugh, and then we go back to TikTok or we go back to Madden or whatever, you know, so it's sure. I, I, I think the NFL helps create these characters even through marketing. So you think about a Baker Mayfield who had a huge marketing uh, campaign when he arrived in Cleveland, never really became the star maybe they had envisioned uh, in terms of building that narrative. But, you know, you also look at a Joe Namath and I, I really I kind of go back to. Joe Namath is being one of the first quarterbacks that 
really had that narrative being constructed outside of the game from making the the bold predictions, which, come on, every athlete makes predictions. His just happened to come true in a nearly impossible situation in the Super Bowl against the Colts, but also doing the pantyhose commercials, the way he would dress in the fur coats and the dark glasses, the mystique of that persona, that uh, these characters are born out of out of this game and then kind of take on a storyline all of their own that then can supersede the game and live, like you said, when the game's not even going on. And so I, I think they've learned to leverage media that way and, and to help cultivate these 24-hour television networks and these 24-hour narratives that you're just looking for the next big, I don't know if the scandal's the right word, but something to, you know... Um, to, to get the attention of the audience and television is central to that um, in addition to video games and social media. Yeah. And I, um, I, uh, I'm trying to remember, and of course the name is escaping me, but the guy who owned the jets uh, at the time with Namath, he specifically, cause I believe he was, if memory serves, he was a agent like a Hollywood agent, or at least had experience in that world. So when he went after a quarterback for his franchise, it wasn't purely on his ability to win, although, of course, that would be wonderful. It was on his marketability as well. He's a hero. He's a pro. It, 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 it isn't a coincidence that Namath got the perfect environment to sort of, you know, blossom and, and become this, uh, you know, celebrity figure along with the fact that he was just a, a really gifted quarterback, you know, until the knees, the knees went. <laughs> I believe the person you are seeking is Sonny Werblin. Yes. Thank you, Werblin. I could not, I could not, uh, could not think of his name for the life of me. Thank you. Yeah. Sonny Werblin. I'm, I'm here to pick you up. I appreciate that. So. Where I was, where I was hoping to end this episode, if you don't mind, is and feel free to jump back in if something gets you. But since that game I was talking about that supposedly changed everything, that brought us to this new era of again my theory of NFL being more akin to a combination of Madden and the NBA. Since the 2018 game, there's actually been five games that would meet this criteria. And what I'm referring to here is uh, in 2019, you had the Bucks against the Rams, and it was a 55 to 40 game. In uh, Also in 2019, you had the 49ers versus the Saints, and that was a 48 to 46 game. In 2020, now big asterisks there, because that was the pandemic, real pandemic season, so they're playing to empty, empty crowds. And that's a whole other topic. We'll talk about it in another episode, Steve, about the fact that you don't actually, other than making money off of them, you don't really need a physical crowd anymore, but whatever. But in 2020, the Ravens and the Browns, they went 47 to 42. The following season in 21, Chargers versus the Browns, also 47-42. And then uh, Seahawks-Lions in 2022, that was a 48 to 45 game. And in addition to that, I tried to look for chunks you know, chunks. And basically, I know this is not very satisfying listeners, but I can't tell you definitively whether we're in a new trend or whether it's truly just cyclical based on, based on, you know, what's it fat, what's in, what's fattish. But what I found was that there was a chunk of high scoring in 2013. There was also a big chunk in 2015 through 2017 or, or just before 2018. And there was also a chunk in 04, and there was a chunk in 2006 to 2008. However, that being said, there was none in the 90s, and there was only a chunk in eight, from 83 to 86. So think like the Marino era. None in the 70s, and there was a chunk in the 60s. So can't tell. It could be cyclical. Could be that we're going to slowly get into a new era of high scoring. But I think one way or the other... As Steve said, his version was, I feel like I've watched two NFLs 
I probably could argue it's probably a little more nuanced than that. It's probably been like three or four NFLs or something, but there's going to be some other version down the road that's going to be more the child of, as I've said, well, let's put all the parents in, right, that we started with. So uh, Madden, NBA, fantasy sports, sports betting, more uh, social media, more interactivity, possibly even fans calling plays or suggesting plays, less injury, less padding, et cetera, et cetera, spectacle for spectacle's sake, sharing for sharing's sake. That's going to be some new next version of the NFL. And for our purposes, what's the old phrase? The the medium is the message. The idea that the medium itself sort of uh, shapes and guides what the message or the content ultimately is. It plays a role. And I think you're seeing that sort of play out here uh, with the NFL. So, Steve, any uh, final thoughts or words or concerns before we wrap this one up for folks? I think we may have to bring a meteorologist onto the show. I like to know of all the games you looked at. What were the weather conditions? <laughs> I, I need temperature, wind speed, and velocity, please. Well, thankfully, we're living in a time of. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. By no, the way. I think you're actually completely right. You have uh, such big data piles these days, and so many really nice algorithms to sort through those data piles that I think it would almost be comically easy how quickly we could probably get that information. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The NBA does not have to contend with that when you play in uh, the same 72 degree indoor arena every single time, but yeah. All right. Well, folks, if you stayed with us, I do appreciate it. It's a, f- I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I think it's a fun pun intended kickoff to the uh, new season as we get into some uh, sports talk. And hopefully as you're noticing, if you listen, you know, if you listen to something, that's certainly good enough for us. But if you listen to the Mining the Archive Monday episodes, we are going to try our best to pair them with some of the topics that we're talking about during this new season. So it might be good to kind of provide some context for you or extend the thought or extend the conversation. So be sure to not only look at what we release on Thursdays, but also what we release on Mondays. And if you are absolutely insane and want to listen to more of us, Uh, or maybe me more particularly this season, we'll also still be doing mini episode releases. And as I've mentioned, those are a bit of a grab bag. Sometimes we're going to be commenting on what we talked about in the main episode or follow up on maybe your comments, or uh, they are just sort of one-offs, some interesting ideas that are happening in TV or did happen in TV that gives me a chance to talk with you about them. And last but not least, what I'm going to remind you about is if you are interested in looking at the full archive of past episodes, or on top of all that, we're crazy enough to even do Patreon, new Patreon-only bonus episodes, you can get access to both the full archive and those new Patreon-only bonus episodes by just considering donating a few dollars to the Patreon, and you find us at Inside the Box TV History Podcast at Patreon, and uh, you know we'll continue the fun over there. I will say thanks for tuning in and also old school stuff. Feel free to just rate and review us on, uh, on Apple podcasts for Steve Voorhees. I'm Jonathan Bollinger. Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you throughout this entirely new fall season. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.